Well, it's a great day to be alive, if you're alive. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're grateful to be here in the Lord's house and certainly consider this a a privilege and an honor and a blessing. I know that pastor says a lot of good things about us and we appreciate those things, but it's just a wonderful time we've had uh, with them. Last night was good. And then last year when we were able to spend time with them at the banquet, I thought this is really, really a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you know, sometimes during the convocation, you meet so many people and spend so much time with different folks. And every year, I'm always trying to make sure we can come in contact with a few more. But just talking with Brother Sam, I just knew we were kindred spirits. People that love God started preaching together young and have continued in walking with the Lord ever since. So we bring you greetings from our churches in Nebraska as well as Kansas. As he was talking, we have a church in Red Cloud, Nebraska. We're right on the border, just right on the Nebraska-Kansas border. And in a little town of about 800 people, we started our first church 24 years ago. And it's called uh, Revival Tabernacle. I met my wife, I'd come back from the Middle East, felt led to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, went down there, became one of the ministers at Family Worship Center there with Brother Swaggart, fell in love with this beautiful gal, Uh, Brother Swaggart then married us, and our original plan was to base out of Tulsa, she was a traveling singer there at ORU, And we thought I'd just keep traveling, doing my own uh, evangelistic work, and she'd keep doing what she was doing across the nation and traveling overseas. But God had other plans. We went to Nebraska in March. I went to Nebraska in March of 98. God began to move. Out of that, we planted that first church. I told her we're going to live in Nebraska. She said, Nebraska. (laughs) She said, now, how many... How many black people are up there in Red Cloud, Nebraska? I said, well, honey, I said, when you arrive, there'll be two. We'll double the population. And it's still that way right now. So that, that, that became our first church, and then we started a second church, and then uh, some of the sons and daughters go out. We started other churches. And then our newest church is in Hayes, Kansas, which also is called Family Worship Center. So as Pastor said, our schedule each week is kind of crazy. Sunday morning, I'm in one location. Then I drive an hour east to be Sunday night in Hebron, Nebraska. Then Monday, we drive an hour north to be in Friend, Nebraska, Then we make our way back to Hebron for their midweek service, then to Red Cloud for their midweek service. Then I spend the end of the week in Hayes, Kansas, preaching there at Family Worship Center. And so we we want your pastor to stop slacking and want him to get busy for the king. (laughs) But praise God, it's a privilege, as I said. And we're happy to be here. A lot of good things taking place around the world. We're excited about how God is pouring out his spirit. And uh, just had some meetings here not too long ago with some leaders from Central Asia. The 
Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and to hear what God is doing in these Muslim countries, these underground churches, people getting the baptism all over the place, demons being cast out, blind eyes being opened. I even put a report in one of our uh, news updates here not too long ago because I wanted WMF to, to see what was going on, but that's virgin territory for us, and I've been trying to move us into some different areas. And so that whole thing has opened up for us. Please keep us in your prayers. I know at the end of the year we'll be back in East Africa. I'll go and preach for all the leaders of the Foursquare Church, and then we'll be preaching for uh, the leaders of the Assemblies of God. But we're expecting God to do great things. Uh, He's really been doing remarkable things in these last days. COVID may have slowed a number of us down, but it never did stop the hand of God. And, and God is able to climb over any kind of wall. He can go into any kind of location. And even for us, we were fortunate in Nebraska. Our governor never shut us down. We kind of did a few parking lot services, and once I saw the people out there hugging and kissing on each other's neck, I said, no sense in you being out there. Get on back in here. And we just kept on going. There was no sense in in changing at all. But God is wonderful. Amen? Amen. 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 If you're ready for the word, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, and let's go to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. And... I want to minister this morning from these first five verses. We're just going to deal with, O ye dry bones, live. Ezekiel 37, beginning with verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. Caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Come on, won't you join with me in prayer this morning? Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. For you. Thank you, Lord. 
We want to understand that Ezekiel's ministry was certainly unique. When you take the time to read through the various chapters, you can see that there were not many people in his day like him. God can communicate to someone at any time and at any place. You start in the book of Genesis and God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. It's in that place they received a directive not to eat of a particular tree, but they did. Once they sinned, they hid from God. But even amongst those trees and bushes, God came to where they were. At the end of the book of Revelation, it tells us that John, in that vision, sees Jesus. Three times in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. God is able to speak to man in heaven and speak to man on planet earth. He can get to him anywhere. From a burning bush, Moses heard the voice of God talk to him. Out of a wind that struck through the branches of a mulberry tree, David could hear God's voice. Whenever the king communicates with us, it's in a way, in a very distinct way that we can understand. So it is here in this book. In Babylon, he was among the captives, and this prophet and this priest, he saw visions. The scripture is clear. Chapter 1, he saw some living creatures, flashes of lightning, brilliant colors. It was mesmerizing. But in chapters 2 and 3, he received his call. God said, Ezekiel, eat the roll. He devoured it. God said, I've called you to a people not of a different language, but you can understand them. They can understand you. However, they will not listen to you. How would you like to have that call? Be sent to a people that won't listen to you. But he said in chapter 3, verse 17, I've called you to be a watchman. Someone who observes, sees, a seer, sets the trumpet to his lips to declare the word of the Lord. This man even went out of his way sometimes to physically demonstrate the prophetic word of God. And of course, one time the Lord caught him up by the Spirit, carried him to one of the inner gates, and he saw these images of jealousy and the leaders of the church bowing before these idols and crying out to them as though these idols were God. God sees everything. There's nothing that goes on in any church that God doesn't see. A friend of mine told one time of how he was speaking with a pastor friend of his. And this pastor had a sizable church, but they were going in debt every month, about a million and a half dollars. And so he called the friend and he said, would you pray with me? I don't know what's going on. We've got plenty of people, but there's problems don't know. God's not talking to me. Would you at least pray? If you hear from God, would you give me a call? Well, my friend got off the telephone and wondered about this, and 
just sitting there praying, talking to the king, he said, Lord, what is this all about? Is there anything I can do to help? But he felt like God spoke to his heart, reminded him of the story of Achan, and spoke this sentence to him. There's sin in the camp. Ten minutes later, he called his friend back. He said, I'm not sure what's going on, but God told me there's sin in the camp. Well, he became resistant. He said, how can you say that there's nothing going on in my life? He, my friend told him, I'm not saying there's sin in your life. I'm telling you, God told me there's sin in the camp. Well, a week later, this pastor's wife called the other pastor and said, what did you say to my husband? I mean, just he's gone crazy around here. He's firing everybody. And he said, well, all I told him was what God told me. There's sin in the camp. He said, he's been hauling in all of our employees, more than a hundred of them. One by one, he's been asking them, you are up here leading praise and worship. Are you living with somebody out of wedlock? And the person said, yes. He said, will you repent? They said, no. Said, you're fired. Said, you that run in the sound booth back there, it's my understanding that you, you're drinking and everything like that. Off the, the church and campus grounds and everything, are you going to stop drinking? No, you're fired. He went through the whole church with all the people like that. God is able to see what is taking place behind closed doors even when we think nobody is peeping over our shoulders. Adam and Eve came towards that tree that the Lord told them to avoid. And when they got there, she reached up and grabbed that fruit. She had no idea that God was sitting up in the branches peeping out at her. The moment you begin to think that God doesn't see what you're doing, God will reveal to you that he does. In Ezekiel 1 and 3, the word of the Lord came to this man of God. He was raised up to be a prophet. He was also a priest. And the distinctive feature of that ministry that he had was the hearing of, the declaring of, and the illustration of the Word of God. This man lived what he proclaimed. Truth became visible through his life. The scripture says Jesus Christ was the word become flesh. It's not enough for you to believe the Bible. The Bible has to be manifested through your lifestyle. If you believe in living holy, be a holy man or a holy woman. If you believe in walking close with God, then that should be the habit of your life. And the kind of ministry Ezekiel had, as we can see in these verses, you can't learn this in a home video series. You've got to walk close with God. I was in a church one time, and at the end of the service, someone said, Well, uh, Brother Darrell, can I pray for you? I said, Please, please do. I need all the prayer I can get. But I could tell this wasn't about a prayer. This was about an opportunity to see if they could give a word to Brother Darrell. And so when I was standing in, the gentleman said, Let's hold hands and pray and so he bowed his head, closed his eyes. I did like Jesus in John 17. I lifted my eyes toward heaven, wide open, and paid attention to him. 
And when he came to the end of his prayer, he paused for a few seconds, and then he suddenly began to talk to me about impressions that he had and these kinds of things. And he said, does that make sense to you? I said, not at all. Not at all. You know, there are people here in America now that believe that in a period of six or seven hours, they can activate a prophetic gift in your life and produce a gift of prophecy. It's producing confusion. The idea that somebody can teach you to lock hands with somebody, close your eyes, and then the very first impression that you have, that is what you're supposed to give to them as the Word of God. It can be deceptive. When God equips a man or woman, they're equipped of God. Otherwise, you'll function in imitation and mimicry. But when the power of God is at work, then you're equipped by God. He'll open up your eyes to see things you've never seen before. Ezekiel 37 verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. That hand is a demonstration of the remarkable power of God. In Exodus 32 11, Moses said, We were brought out of Egypt by the hand of God. Acts, it tells us that, that the Lord himself, the great hand of God, was upon the church, and multitudes turned to the Lord and believed. The hand of God was upon Elijah, and the scripture says he girded up his loins and quickly ran in front of a chariot. And when the hand of the Lord was upon Nehemiah, the Bible says he had favor to receive all of the material resources he needed out of the king's forest in Lebanon. The hand of God. And when that hand is upon you, wonderful things take place. I know the hand of God was upon Martin Luther. That man had to stand against all of the religion of the Roman Catholic Church just to be able to put a Bible in people's hands that they could interpret on their own. I believe the hand of God was upon people like John Wesley. Here's a man rode horseback all throughout England preaching the gospel, ordaining women to minister across Europe in class meetings in homes. I know the hand of God was upon Finney. hand of God was upon Moody, a man that sold shoes but yet preached to thousands of people and saw multitudes of young people come to God. When that hand of God comes upon you, it starts changing lives. Think of General William Booth. Started the Salvation Army. Most of us think of the Salvation Army as the people ringing the bell out there begging for money. But that wasn't him. That wasn't the people that he ordained. This man had people marching through the streets with all kinds of instruments. And they were gathering the attention of those on the streets. And once they had the attention of the people, they preached the gospel to them. They went down into the areas where the prostitutes were, where the pimps were, where the alcoholics were, lifted them up in their arms and held them and kissed them on their forehead and said, there's a God that loves you. The hand of God was on that movement. You think of William Seymour, man born to slaves, but yet used by God significantly. Think of Amy Simple McPherson. 
A lady that's traveling by car across this nation and finally settled on the West Coast and would have the power of God in manifestation in her life. Wonderful things were happening. Charles S. Price. This man had people falling under the power of God when he would preach in Canada and here in America. Nobody would touch anybody, but just the anointing of God would come upon folks. And they'd be stacked up like cordwood all across the platform as he ministered God's word. When the hand of God comes upon a person, things happen. You wouldn't be in this place. You wouldn't be on these grounds had not the hand of God been upon people. It's because of a relationship with God that lives have been changed. And so when his hand comes upon people, we are swept up into the spirit sometimes to see things we've never seen. I was reading a book one time, fell asleep and had a dream and in the dream. It was like I was in an airplane flying over the heartland. We hadn't been in that region more than a year. And I'm looking down, and of course, when you're high above the earth, all the buildings look small. So I'm looking at large swaths of land and these patterns along the grounds. And I'm looking at all of these buildings, and they're so small. Then the scene changed. Then I'm walking down amongst the buildings. And then I quickly realized that they weren't buildings at all. They were caskets. And I looked up and there's a man dressed in white, golden girdle. I knew it was the Lord. And he pointed at me and said, it's because you haven't produced disciples out here to preach life to these people. That's what led me to start organizing churches and renting armories and preaching camp meetings for any and everybody out there through the heartland because I saw that death had overswept that region and God was wanting at least one person to produce the life of God. I'm not saying there weren't other people out there that loved God. I'm just saying he was looking for someone that would become a catalyst for all of this. So sometimes God puts us in puzzling situations. Imagine being Ezekiel caught away in a vision and you're set down in a valley of bones. Every direction you look, you see bones. And you don't know to whom the bones belong. You don't know how the bones got there. You're not even sure what you're supposed to do there in the midst of those bones. This man, he is watching and he is observing because he knows this has to be God speaking to him. Now verse 11 gives us some insight. It said, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried, our hope is lost and we are cut off. For our parts. What does that mean? Here are the covenant people of God. Here they have a relationship with God, but they don't even see themselves as dead. They're the kind of people that say, oh no, God looks at me primarily through the blood of the sacrifice. I'm redeemed. God said they're dead. 
They're the kinds of people that would have told you, oh no, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year and the blood is shed. The atonement is made for my sins. I'm all right with God. And God says, I see bones. And when you consider what the Lord says about them in verse 11, folks were hopeless. How are we ever going to get out of this? Folks were hopeless and God is working with Ezekiel. And in verse 2, causing him to pass round about those bones to give him a new perspective. So Ezekiel has to see them up close and pay attention to them. Now, there are several things about this that are important because there are things you should never allow to intimidate you. Number one, don't ever be intimidated by the position of the bones or the region or the valley. Many people are. I've had folks come to me and say, oh, Brother Darrell, don't you realize this, this whole region is religious. I'm telling you, there's a prince that sits up there and controls all of this whole region. There's a religious spirit that's controlling this area. Do, do you sense it? Do you feel it? And I say, yes. Because I can sense it in you. Here is what the Bible says. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are seated with him in heavenly places far above all principalities. The Bible says in chapter 6, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That means it doesn't matter if there's a pinch, prince seated up in the heavenlies. You have power on planet earth. Why are we concerned about a prince up there in the sky when we won't even cast the devil out of those that come wearing blue jeans and a suit. But God has given us power to set the captive free. Don't be intimidated by the valley. Don't allow the valley to depress you. Don't ever come through the doors of the church and say it's hopeless. How are we ever going to reach Tyler? God has called you to be somebody different. Don't be intimidated by the region. Don't be intimidated by all of those bones. Don't be intimidated by the number of bones. I think every time that Ezekiel looked in one direction, it seemed like those bones stretched another mile. He'd never get to the end of them. God was causing him to pass by them. These were the covenant people of Israel. Verse 11 says, well, Brother Darrell, have you ever seen bones? A few. I preach for a lot of different groups. I've seen them in the Nazarene churches, Lutheran churches, ELCA, Wisconsin Synod, Missouri Synod, Lutheran churches. I've seen bones. I've seen those bones. In American Baptist churches, free will Baptist churches, reformed Baptist churches, primitive Baptist churches, missionary Baptist churches. I've seen them in the Southern Baptist churches. I've seen them in the United Methodist Church. 
Wesleyan Church, Free Methodist Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. I've seen bones that have been in the Assemblies of God, the Pentecostal Church of God, the Foursquare, the Open Door, the Church of God in Christ, the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, the Church of God, Indiana. Seen those bones in the church of God of prophecy. Unaffiliated full gospel churches. I've seen them bones. But never be intimidated by the number of dead people you come in contact with. God has called you to be a person filled with life. A carrier of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter what kind of a church I go into. We know that the cure and the antidote is to preach Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Don't be intimidated by the position or by the number of the bones. And for God's sake, don't be intimidated by the condition of them. Scripture here says they were very, very Dry. He puts the emphasis on that dryness that's there. All the flesh been devoured. Sinews disappeared. You've seen bones out in rural America after the coyotes have got to them. There's hardly anything left. But over time, even what little bit of flesh is there dissolves, turns to dust, disappears. This man looked out there and saw bones that were very dry. Sometimes I think as believers in the church, we need a fresh revelation of God. Not to be intimidated by our circumstances. Just like in marriage. You can be married so long that pretty soon you start taking one another for granted. And that love that you have is genuine and true. But that love that you have is manifested like it once were when you were dating. And you can be involved with church and be in church week after week. And before you know it, you come dragging through the doors like somebody that's very dry. Because you haven't allowed yourself sufficient time in the presence of God. And death is contagious. All you have to do to be touched by the darkness is go out there and stand still. Eventually the darkness will come to where you are. But if you're walking with God, you'll find that that light is there in the midst of what you're doing. I had to go and preach in a prison. And I was wanting to do a weekly study in there. And so this prison had been going on for decades. They had maybe 175 or so people in this particular prison. And... Campus crusade and prison fellowship had been in there for decades and didn't have 20 people. Well, I came, went through all their security checks, and I said to them, I'd like to do a a Bible study. They said, what do you want to call it? I just said, Bible study with Pastor Darrell. They arranged for a date. I came on that particular date. They gave me a little room upstairs. I went up into that room. There was a little board where I could put some stuff if I wanted to write. I could see prisoners walking back and forth past that little room where I was. Then I heard the announcement. 7 p.m. Bible study with Pastor Darrell begins in classroom so-and-so. I stood in there. 
Waited a few minutes, no one came in. Kept waiting, no one came in. So I decided, since I've already made this drive up here, I'm not going to waste my time. So I walked out into the hallway, took my Bible, held it in my hand, and I said, if you're not going to come in to listen to me, I'll stand out in the hallway and preach to everybody out here. So one by one, they start filing in there. And, and several of them sat down. I had 10 or 12 or so that were in there for the study. They heard the word. Well, within a few short weeks, God was moving. Folks were giving their hearts to the Lord, and pretty soon they put me downstairs in the basement where I could fit at least 70 people. And so there I was down there preaching and ministering the Word of God, and the guards were coming because they wanted to see what was happening with these prisoners that were there. Their lives were changing. Well, I mean, we, we were having powerful services. I had 10 people one time lined up. I said, how many of you want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues? I mean, 10 of them got in line, laid hands on the first seven or eight of them, instantly began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And the other ones woke up in the middle of the night talking in tongues, laying in that rack. So I'm telling revival was on. They said, we've got to get them out of the basement. So they put me in the cafeteria right after the supper meal. And I, by now, I had over 130 of the 175 coming to the Bible study. And God was delivering people and setting people free. But I can tell you, there were some folks that weren't happy about that. And these were the people in the prison that were the gang members. And so some of the guys were telling me, they said, Brother Darrell, we appreciate these messages and the, the power of God touching our lives. But when you're done, you leave and drive home to your wife. You don't understand what it's like here in this prison. These, these guys, they're raping us at night. Just broke my heart to hear them say that. You know, I said, you're right. I had no idea, but I said, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to keep coming, preaching Christ. Well, I came one night, and all of those folks were in there, had a good little time. We sang a song, had a good little time of worship and everything, and then when they sat down, and I'm getting ready to get started with preaching, then all these gang members, they walked into that cafeteria, and they fanned out around the, along the walls of that cafeteria. They come to intimidate me, and so here, here they are now, and I mean, they look like any and everything. I mean, we got earrings in every direction, tattoos all over the place, different colored hair, and all of this, and then they stood along those walls, and they just kind of did their arms like this, just, just trying to make sure that I understood that they were present. And I could see some of the guys in front of me were a little bit nervous about all of this because their, their whole attitude and their, their actions changed in that. Well, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be outdone by these guys. I have no idea on this earth what I was going to teach on that night, but I'm telling you, I preached a message on hell that evening that shook everybody up. 
I painted hell with such vivid and lurid imagery, I just about had him shaking over hell from a dirty, rotten stick. And when it was all over, I said, I'd like to know how many people in here tonight would like to give their hands to the Lord and be saved. I'm telling gang members, hands were going up all over the place. Yes. God sent revival because we weren't intimidated by the valley. And we weren't intimidated by the condition or by the number of the bones. We were going to preach Jesus Christ and allow God to move. And so Ezekiel, he's walking all around this valley. He's looking at all of these bones. And then God says to him, son of man, can they live? That's the question. Because God has to work on Ezekiel before he can deal with the bones. He's got to quicken Ezekiel before he can bring life to the bones. And by giving Ezekiel the perspectives that he gave him and asking him the question, Ezekiel's got to think about this now. Can these things really live? Is there enough life in God to produce power in the midst of all of this? And surely God spoke to him and said, I want you to prophesy to these bones. And when that man began to speak, things began to happen. And the Bible says there's a mighty army that rose up. So there were three things that occurred here. First, there's formation. Then there's suscitation. And then there's that lively army that stood up ready to work for God now. But there had to be somebody to open up their mouth and to begin to proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, if you are going to do what God wants you to do, then you've got to hear God's man when he speaks. And this is why God sent the disciples into all the world to preach and to prophesy. To preach the gospel. That's the power that brings liberty in a moment. I preached a revival in a Methodist church one time. And they had these handbills that they had, had passed out. And so this man greeted me at the back door. And he said, are you this gentleman? I said, well, that's me. He said, says here, you've got background in Islam and, and all of this stuff. And he said, you preaching tonight? I said, yes. I said, are you, are you here uh, for the meeting? He said, yes. I said, who's this here? He said, this, this is my girlfriend. We've been living together for decades. I said, do you go to church here? He said, no, I don't go to church here. He said, but I'm just as good as anybody in this church. I said, that's not a, not a problem at all. He came in, sat down. I got up in that Methodist church and I preached. It's one of them old style churches. Had been there since the 1880s. I preached. Afterwards, I said, I'm going to give the altar call. I'm not going to be up here begging anybody to come down here. I'm going to give the call and you can come quickly. And then when I gave that call, I watched as that man stood to his feet and he came down that aisle. Watched another elderly person pulling an oxygen machine coming down that aisle. Pretty soon the altars were filled with people. Here was a man that was in his 70s shacking up with a woman and didn't see anything wrong with it. But yet, in less than 45 minutes, one message cut through 70-something years of sin. 
less than 45 minutes. When God, by the mighty power of the Holy Ghost, begins to work, it doesn't take him long. So when that wind begins to blow, then we have to be sensitive enough to be able to yield to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And even this morning, as you're sitting and listening to the Word, I can promise you, around some of you, that wind is swirling right now. Swirling. Because God's speaking to you. God's dealing with you. These folks were hopeless. Tried bones. How many times have you thought about suicide? That's hopelessness. That's a dry bone. How many times have you looked at your marriage or at your home and said, my entire house is on fire. I don't even know what to do or if it can be repaired. That's hopelessness. It's a dry bone. Doctor has told you there's illness and weakness in your body. You'll never recover from it. And he's given you a word that you don't want to believe. But you're wrestling because you're thinking. I've known so many other people that have died with this. Other people that were crippled by. That's hopelessness. That's a dry bone. And the spirit of God is at work. Because he's trying to stir you up to be able to show you that he can bring life to you today. Touch you and minister to you. I was a part of one of the greatest revivals Saudi Arabia ever saw 30 years ago. Young Marine sent me over there. Gulf War is going on, but they stationed me at the American Consulate. I had five Marines that were there with me. I was just a young man, a a, a corporal, and, and when I got there, the Pete, the whole process for checking in required that, that I go to all these different people, have them sign my papers. I walked into the office of the post security officer, a man by the name of Angulo. He said, Corporal Sutton, he said, I've, I've read your service record book, looked at your psychological profile. It seems that you're a Christian. You're pretty devoted to this Christianity. He said, just promise me while you're here, we won't have any international incidents and you won't get involved with that underground church. I said, Mr. Angulo, we're not going to have any international incidents and I could promise you there's nothing underground about me. I exited his office, walked down the hall to the secretary of the council general, the Honorable Philip Griffith. His secretary was there. I said, ma'am, I'd like to know how to get involved with the underground church. She said, I happen to attend. She said, I'll give you a number. She gave me that number. Then all of a, all of a sudden, I made a phone call, and they checked me out a few weeks later. I'm part of the underground church. I ended up starting three churches there in Saudi Arabia that later went on to provide for me when I exited the military and went back to Jordan to study Arabic. But, but in Saudi Arabia, God began to pour out his spirit. Those Marines thought I was crazy. I mean, the American consulate, very wealthy place. We had an Olympic-sized swimming pool on our grounds, beautiful facility. We were the only ones that could legally have liquor and pork came in a diplomatic pouch. I got there, and the Marines were selling pork, 
pack of bacon to other American citizens there for $50 a pack or more. They had all kinds of liquor. Jack Daniels, the Black Label. They're selling it five, $600 a bottle. And everybody wanted to come to a Marine party so they could have access to this. Well, I, uh, thank you, sir. I had come in the middle of all of this and they quickly realized I wasn't one of them. I said, look, I'm telling you right now, I don't care how many parties we have. I'm never tending bar. I'm not serving liquor to anybody. Don't ask me. They never did. I'd get up in the middle of the night and walk around that house and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, you're saving every one of them. One by one, they're coming in. God, I know you're saving them. I'd walk through the house when I was off duty saying that in the middle of the night, while one was on duty and the other three were sleeping. Well, I used to have all these preaching tapes that, that I kept in my room. And I always liked to listen to animated preaching, because I'm animated, you know. So I, I, I liked a lot of lively stuff. And, and I came in one morning, looked at all my tapes that I had on the desk, and I could see some things were out of order. It's like somebody had been there, took something, put it back, put it in the wrong spot. So I'm wondering what's going on here. A few days later, one of the Marines, a man named Rick Stegerda, he said to me, he said, Daryl, I want you to know I've been going in your room at night listening to some of your tapes, and I, I ended up giving my heart to the Lord last night. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now there are two of us. So Rick and I are praying and believing God. Wonderful things taking place. Oh, yes, God is moving. I'm in that underground church. I'm preaching on Fridays. I'm standing up there in the, in the doorway of the kitchen, 20 or so people there. You know, because every underground church, you don't let it get more than 30 people. Too many cars draws too much attention. But in the middle of that, I'm watching these people that work for the Raytheon Defense Department chomping up saying, I want to be saved in the middle of the message. God's changing lives. Well, I came out of the bedroom one time. The Marines were sitting there watching some stuff on television they shouldn't have been watching. So I sat down on the couch next to them. I said, I don't know why you guys waste your time with this foolishness. You ought to just go ahead and get right with God. God will change your life. They said, your problem, Sergeant Sutton, uh, Sergeant by now, they said, your problem, you're just too religious. You honestly think God can change old heathens like us? I said, yes. I said, I dare you to go into the gymnasium with me right now, and we'll get on our knees, and I bet you God will save you. Hey, say God can't save somebody like me, but we'll take you up on the dare. So we went into the gym. We got down on our knees, me, Rick, and the other two, and we're kind of like in a circle. And so I did one of these numbers, and I said, okay, we're just going to start praying. I lifted my hands, closed my eyes. If you got everybody looking at you, it's good to close your eyes. So I closed my eyes, start saying, Father, I worship you. Father, I love you. After about three or four minutes of that, I started hearing some sniffling. And a young man from Brooklyn, New York, Jamie Macias, Hispanic boy, he started crying and started asking God to help him. A few minutes later, another gentleman named Daniel Mickey threw himself down on the floor and said, Oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. 
We're having revival there in the Marine House. A few days later, laid hands on Jamie Messiah as God baptized him with the Holy Ghost. Well, meanwhile, in the underground church, we're still having powerful services. We started a few more, a couple of more underground churches. I'm seeing Iranian people filled with the Holy Spirit, Sudanese people coming to the Lord. My Pakistani driver that had more than one wife gave his heart to the Lord. Then we had an Indian brother who had led somebody in the Saudi royal family to Christ and had been arrested. So we were all praying. Everybody from Riyadh to Dahan, Jeddah, all across the Arabian continent. We knew what that meant. In Saudi Arabia, Christianity isn't even permitted. Imagine a world where there are no steeples, no churches, no Christian television, no Christian radio. A world where when a little girl turns about four, she sees the world through a black abaya, a veil. Everything has to be covered from the fingertips to her toes. Imagine a world where a man can have four wives, where a woman is treated like chattel property, given no birth certificate at her birth. She can be divorced simply by a Muslim man saying three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And then she goes packing back home. If she's found accused of adultery, she can be stoned. No record of the death because there's no record of the birth. Women can't drive. Women couldn't go outside the house and go shopping without permission from their husband, uncle, and their father. Can't leave the country. No passport unless under special circumstances. I'm probably one of the few people you've ever met that actually have seen a stoning. I was in that country and driver knew that I was interested in this because every Friday morning in Saudi Arabia they announce on the news where the capital punishments are going to be taking place. They'll tell you the mosque number and the city. I told my driver, I said, you've got to take me to where this is. They, we came, ended up going up a hill, came to the top of a little area, sitting up on the bluff, just overlooking the, the outer court of the mosque. And I watched as a dump truck came, unloaded, bunch of rock. People came filing out of that mosque and a young lady couldn't have been more than 14 or 15 had been accused of adultery. My man, the driver, is giving me the commentary on all of this. They staked her down with a rope right out there in that square and I watched as the first offended or aggrieved party, her husband, he walks over there to the, the pile of rocks. He throws the first stone at her. Then her mother and father, because she has shamed them through her adultery. They walked over there, grabbed rocks, and then all of the congregation of Muslims grabbed rocks and stoned that little girl to death as she was trying to cover up and reaching and grabbing and finally no movement. That's where we were. And so this Indian brother been arrested. We know it's not looking good. He's likely going to be beheaded or stoned. 
church was praying. This young man on the day of what was supposed to be his execution because he had already had his trial. They brought him outside the mosque, had thousands of people out there to see it. He's one of those dreadful Christians. And they said, do you have any final words you want to say to your God before your life terminates? He said, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray. He bowed his head and he prayed. He said, he thought to himself, since he's going to lose his life, might as well pray along with him. He started praying. He kept praying. Pretty soon he heard like the sound of a thud. He kept praying. He heard another one. He kept praying. He heard another one. I don't know, 10, 12, 15 minutes. When he comes to the end of his prayer, he opens up his eyes. And the man that arrested him fell over dead. The lawyer that prosecuted him fell over dead. The judge that sentenced him Fallen over dead. When it's all over, they hurry up and got him out of that country. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, when the hand of God is on you, it'll bring revival. It'll bring revival. And so what I want you to understand this, this morning is that in coming out here to minister to you, I'm not coming out here to do anything other than encourage you. I'm not coming out here telling you that this is a valley filled with dry bones. I'm only here to tell you that whatever circumstances you're passing through right now, it's not hopeless, and God is on your side. You know, He just simply needs you to respond to that wind when that wind is blowing. And I, I've thought plenty of times in recent days how good it would be if a mom or dad would just go and shut themselves up with God and say, I'm not leaving until I have an encounter with God. That if you're a wife, mom with little ones, tell that husband, you go to the park with these little ones, but I'm going to the den or into this room and I'm not coming out until me and God have a powerful meeting and I'm baptized afresh with this Holy Ghost. Because if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, then God, by his power, desires to fill you. You say, Pastor, what, what do I need to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's real simple. Acts chapter 2 says they were all together with one accord. It said, suddenly the Spirit of God entered into them and gave them divine utterance. They began to speak. Nobody can teach you this. Nobody needs to stand on either side of you and smack your jaws. Nobody needs to stand in front of you and tell you real fast, tie my bow tie, tie my bow tie, repeat after me. I'm telling you, when the mighty power of God comes upon you, that fountain will begin to bubble and it'll come out in another language. You can't suppress it. You can't hold it down. It's a wellspring that comes up. I've seen them get the baptism when they're seven years of age or younger. I've seen them in their 80s. Boy, just turn over, filled with the Holy Ghost, and it comes roaring out of them. And that's what God wants for you in your valley. To be able to breathe life into you in a new way. You're active in sports. You've got character and leadership abilities. 
you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just a matter of coming to God saying, Lord, I bring myself to you as an empty possibility. And Father, I'm going to lift my hands to you and worship you. And I'm expecting you, God, to flood this life, this body, with the Holy Ghost. And when he does, you begin to speak. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. So as we transition to this part of the service, I always like to check, Pastor, just to see if there's anybody in here that may not know Christ as their Savior. You never know. Just like in my church, I've had people been in that church listening to me for 24 years, raised in that church, but just because you're raised in church, that doesn't make you a Christian. You can move into a garage, that's not going to make you an automobile. You've got to be born again. But I don't the musicians want to come. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're not born again, but you want to start over and you need God to help you in your life, I do want to help you pray and help you start over. If you don't mind, would, would you bow your head, close your eyes? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're honest enough and bold enough and courageous enough to say, Pastor, I do need Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now if you're not a Christian? You want to be a Christian? If you want to be a Christian, would you lift your hand? Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Now, you that lifted your hand, could you do something for me? In the Bible, it says, Don't be ashamed of me in the presence of men, Jesus said. Or, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you in the presence of my heavenly Father. But if you're here today and you had your hand up, wanting to become a Christian, would you get up and come down here? Would you come down here? Praise the Lord. Pastor, would you pray? Also, if you're here right now, and you say, Brother Darrell, I listened to what you said. I heard what you said about Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones. I need God to blow afresh in my life. I've heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've been praying and nothing has happened. Listen, if you're hopeless like that, that makes you a dry bone. God can change it just like that. I was raised in a holiness Pentecostal church, Church of God in Christ. They kept me in that altar on my knees saying, Daryl, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanted it. I was hungry for it. Nobody ever told me how to receive it. I was in Japan, a Haitian man when I was 17. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit? I said, I want it. I said, I even went to my closet one time because they said, find a closet. I said, when I was 13, I went to my closet. That's where all my suits and clothes and everything were. I sat in there and I just waited on God. And I said, my oldest brother came upstairs running and called my name. He said, Daryl. I said, I'm in the closet praying for the Holy Ghost. He opened up that door and that wind came through. I thought it was the day of Pentecost. 
clothes were stuck to me. I was sweating. He ran downstairs and said, Mama, Daddy, I think this boy didn't join the cult. He's crazy. They started hiding my Bible from me. But in Japan, a man from Haiti said, Daryl, I can lay hands on you. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit in a few moments. I said, well, man, let's get this thing going. I sat down on that chair. He put his hands on me in just a few moments. If you're here this morning, you want God to fill you with the Holy Ghost. We're not going to stand up here and beg. But if you've got faith to believe, stand on your feet and come on down here. We want you.